0: Hello there and welcome to Byzantium and the Crusades. My name is Nick Holmes and this podcast tells how the Crusades were inextricably linked with the Byzantine Empire. I've always been fascinated by this linkage and the first 20 episodes or so told the story of how the First Crusade was born out of Byzantine collapse at the Battle of Manzikert. The First Crusade became a huge success and not only did it save Byzantium but it also captured Jerusalem and set up a series of Crusader states running down the eastern Mediterranean coastline from Syria to Egypt. The last episode told how the northernmost crusader state, the principality of Antioch, actually ended up fighting the Byzantines and how its leader Bohemond launched an attack against Byzantium, which failed miserably, and he died soon afterwards. This was, of course, ominous for the future and marked the beginning of a growing division between the Byzantines and Crusaders, which would, of course, ultimately lead to the Fourth Crusade, nearly a century later, which was actually directed against Byzantium itself. But we're a long, long way from that at the moment. And in this episode, we're going to hear about the creation of the fourth crusader state called the County of Tripoli, which was geographically just south of Antioch. If you want to see a map of the four crusader states, then all you need to do is go to a Kindle or ebook version of my book called The Byzantine World War, and you'll find it in the conclusion. Sorry for that bit of advertising. As before, I'll read extracts from what most people say is the best account of the Crusades ever written, which is called A History of the Crusades by Sir Stephen Runciman, who was a very famous Byzantine historian and, of course, also an expert on the Crusades and who died in 2000. So let's go. Hope you enjoy it. Of all the princes that set out in 1096 for the First Crusade, Raymond, Count of Toulouse, had been the wealthiest and most distinguished, the man whom many expected to be named as leader of the movement. Five years later, he was among the least considered of the Crusaders. His troubles were of his own making. Though he was no greedier and no more ambitious than most of his colleagues, his vanity made his faults too clearly visible. His policy of loyalty to the Byzantine Emperor Alexius was genuinely based on a sense of honour and a far-sighted statesmanship. But to his fellow Franks, it seemed a attra- treacherous ruse, and it won him small advantage, for the Byzantine Emperor soon discovered him to be an incompetent friend. His followers respected his piety, but he had no authority over them. They had forced his hand over the march to Jerusalem during the First Crusade, and the disasters of 1101 showed how little fitted he was to direct an expedition. His lowest humiliation had come when he was taken prisoner by his young colleague Tancred, Though Tancred's action, breaking the rules of hospitality and honour, outraged public opinion, Raymond only obtained release on signing away any claims to northern Syria, and incidentally destroying the basis of his agreement with the Byzantine Emperor. But he had the virtue of tenacity. He had vowed to remain in the East, and he would keep his vow, and would still carve for himself a principality. There was one area that must be conquered by the Christians if their establishments in the east were to survive. A band of Muslim emirates separated the Franks of Antioch and Edessa from their brothers in Jerusalem. Of these emirates, the most considerable was that of the Banu Ammar of Tripoli. The head of the family, Fakhr al-Mulk, was a man of peace. Though his army was small, he ruled a wealthy district, and by a skilful if inconsistent attitude of appeasement towards all his neighbours, he maintained a precarious independence, relying in the last resort upon the strength of his fortress capital on the peninsula of Almina. He had shown considerable friendliness towards the Franks whenever they approached his dominions. He had revictualled the First Crusade and he did not oppose its leaders when they besieged the city of Arca. He had given Baldwin of Boulogne, Useful help during his perilous journey to assume the crown of Jerusalem, but when the crusaders receded into the distance, he had quietly taken over the cities of Tortosa and Maraclea, which they had occupied. He thus controlled the whole coast road from Latakia and Jabala to the Fatimid dependency of Beirut. Raymond, whose ambitions were never modest, contemplated the establishment of a principality that would command both the coast road and the Orontes with its capital at Homs, the city that the Franks called La Chamelle but his first objective, determined probably by the presence of Genoese ships that might help him, would be the cities of the coast. On his release by Tancred in the last days of 1101, he set out from Antioch together with the surviving princes of the Crusades of 1101, who, which included Stephen of Blois, William of Aquitaine, Welf of Bavaria and their comrades who were anxious to complete their pilgrimage to Jerusalem. At Latakia, he was reunited with his wife and with his troops, and with them he marched onto Tortosa, the Genoese flotilla, on whose help he counted, anchored off the coast as he reached the city walls. Before this double menace, the governor of the city made little resistance. About the middle of February, Raymond entered Tortosa, together with his fellow travellers, who agreed without discussion that it should be his. They supposed that he would then accompany them to Jerusalem. On his refusal, they were angry and, according to Fulker of Chartres, spoke blasphemous words against him. But Raymond had decided that Tortosa should be the nucleus of his dominion. So they took their leave of him and journeyed on to the south." Raymond had made no secret of his plans, and the Muslim world was alarmed. Fakra al-Mulk sent to warn the emirs of Homs and Dukak of Damascus, but when Raymond appeared before the walls of Tripoli, it was seen that his army numbered little more than 300 men. The Muslims thought that now was the moment to destroy him. Dukak hastily provided 2,000 horsemen, and Jana ad dala as many more. And the whole army of the Banu Ammar was collected. In total, the Muslim host outnumbered Raymond by 20 to 1 as it converged on him on the plain outside the city. Raymond's deeds were poorly reported by the Crusader historians. It is from the Arab Ibn al that we learn of the extraordinary battle that ensued. Raymond placed a hundred of his men to oppose the Damascenes, a hundred to oppose the Banu Amar, fifty to oppose the men of Homs, and the remaining fifty to be his own bodyguard. The Homs soldiers began the attack, but when it failed, they suddenly panicked, and the panic spread among the troops of Damascus. The Tripolitans were enjoying greater success when Raymond, finding his other foes in flight, swung his whole army against them. The sudden shock was too much for them, and they too turned and fled. The Frankish cavalry then swept over the battlefield, slaughtering all the Muslims that could not escape. The Arab historian estimated that 7,000 of his co-religionists perished. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Join us each week on the Well Beyond Medicine podcast as we explore the 80% of child health impacts that occur outside the doctor's office. Listen and subscribe at NemoursWellBeyond.org, where you'll hear pediatric experts, researchers, and policymakers from around the world discussing ways they are revolutionizing children's health. I'm your host, Carol Vasser. Let's go. Let's go. The victory not only re-established Raymond's reputation, it also ensured the survival of his Lebanese dominion. The Muslims never again dared to take the offensive against him, but his forces were too small for him to capture Tripoli itself, with its great fortifications on the peninsula of Almina. After exacting a heavy tribute in money and horses, he returned to Tortosa to plan his next campaign. After spending the following months in establishing himself in the neighbourhood of Tortosa, he set out in the spring of eleven oh three to conquer the Bucaea a necessary move if he wished to isolate Tripoli and himself expand towards the Orontes. His attempt to surprise the fortress of Tuban at the north-eastern entrance to the valley failed. But, undaunted, he settled down to besiege Qualat al hozn the tremendous castle that dominated the whole plain, which his troops had actually occupied for a week in 1099 in the First Crusade. These castles belonged to Janna ad Dalla of Homs, who could not afford to lose them. He prepared an army for their rescue, but as he came out of the great mosque of Homs after praying for victory, he was murdered by three assassins. His death caused disorder in his city. Raymond at once raised the siege of Kualat al-Hosna and marched eastward to profit by it. Public opinion attributed the murder to agents of Ridwan, who had never forgiven Janna for having attacked him three years before, when he was engaged against the Franks of Antioch. But Janna's widow, who was Ridwan's mother, terrified by Raymond's approach, sent to Aleppo to offer Ridwan the city. Janna's counsellors did not support her, but instead summoned Dukak of Damascus to their rescue. Dukak hastened up in person from the south. Raymond was not in a position to fight against him and withdrew to the coast. When he returned to Tortosa, he learnt that a Genoese squadron of 40 vessels had put into Latakia. He at once hired its help for an attack on Tripoli. The attack failed, so the Allies moved southward and captured the port of Jebel. The Genoese were rewarded with one third of the town. But Raymond was determined to conquer Tripoli itself. During the last months of 1103, he set up a camp in the suburbs of the city and began to construct a huge castle on a ridge some three miles inland. Shortly before, to please the Byzantines, he had tried to divert Tancred from Latakia. In return, they provided him from Cyprus with materials and with skilled masons. By the spring of 1104... The castle was completed and Raymond was in residence. He called it Mount Pilgrim, but to the Arabs it was known as Kualat Sanjil, the Castle of Saint Gilles. Tripoli was now in a state of permanent siege, but it remained inviolate. Raymond controlled the land approaches, but he lacked permanent sea power. With their great hordes of wealth, the Banu Amar could still maintain a large merchant fleet and bring in provisions to the city from the Egyptian ports to the south. But Raymond's castle menaced their freedom. In the late summer, they made a sortie and burnt the suburbs up to its walls, and Raymond himself was injured by a burning roof which fell on him. Early next spring, Fakhr al-Mulk was induced to arrange a truce with the Christians, by which he abandoned the suburbs to them. The negotiations were hardly concluded when Raymond, who had never fully recovered from his burn six months before, fell mortally ill. He died at Mount Pilgrim on the 28th of February 1105. The gallant adventures of his later years had quite restored his fame. He was mourned as a great Christian knight who had preferred the hardships of the Holy War to all the pleasures of his native land. This tribute was deserved, for Raymond, unlike his fellow crusaders now settled in the East, who were of small account in their home countries, had possessed a rich heritage in Europe. This now created a problem, for his son in Toulouse, called Bertrand, now decided that he should inherit Raymond's lands in the East, which Raymond had left to his cousin, called William Jordan. Bertrand set out from France for the East in the summer of 1108. He was determined to round off his future principality in the East by the conquest of Tripoli, and he probably anticipated that he might have some difficulty with William Jordan. To achieve his aims, he brought with him an army of 4,000 cavalry and infantry and a flotilla of 40 galleys provided by the ports of Provence. His young son, Hans travelled with him. His first visit was to Genoa, from where he hoped to obtain the naval help needed for the reduction of Tripoli. William Jordan had also tried to arrange an alliance with the Genoese, but his embassy found Bertrand already accepted as the Republic's ally. Genoa had promised to aid Bertrand to take over his father's conquests in the east and to crown them with the capture of Tripoli, in which they would be given the favoured commercial position. When Bertrand sailed on eastward in the autumn, a Genoese squadron sailed with him. Next, Bertrand planned to visit Constantinople to secure the support of his father's friend, the Byzantine Emperor. Storms obliged his fleet to put into the Gulf of Volo to the harbour of Almiro, where his men made an excellent impression by abstaining from the usual western practice of pillaging the countryside. Consequently, when he arrived at Constantinople, the Byzantine Emperor Alexius was prejudiced in his favour and received him as a son. Bertrand was given many valuable presents and the promise of imperial favours to come. In return he swore allegiance to the Byzantine Emperor. From Constantinople Bertrand and his allies sailed to Saint Simeon, the port of Antioch, and sent an envoy to Tancred to ask for an interview. Tancred at once came down to see him, but their conversation did not go smoothly. Bertrand arrogantly demanded that Tancred should hand over to him the portions of the city of Antioch that his father once had held. Tancred replied that he would consider this if Bertrand would assist him in the campaign on which he was about to embark against Mamistra and the Byzantine cities of Cilicia. To Bertrand who had just sworn an oath of allegiance to the Byzantine Emperor Alexius and who counted on Byzantine support the proposition was unacceptable and he offered instead to conquer for Tancred the town of Jabala, in which Fakra al Mulk had taken refuge. Tancred insisted on cooperation in the Cilician expedition, and when Bertrand categorically refused because of his oath to the Byzantine emperor, Tancred ordered him to leave his principality and to forbid his subjects to sell him supplies. Bertrand was obliged to move on down the coast and sailed into Tortosa Harbour. Tortosa was held by one of William Jordan's lieutenants, who at once admitted Bertrand into the town and gave him all the provisions that he required. Next day, Bertrand sent a messenger to William Jordan's headquarters at Mount Pilgrim, requiring the surrender of all his father's inheritance in the lands of La Chamelle, that is to say the Principality of Homs that Raymond had hoped to found. But William Jordan was in no mood to abdicate in Bertrand's favour. He replied that he held Raymond's land by the right of inheritance and that, moreover, he had defended them and added to them. But the size of Bertrand's armada alarmed him. He sent to Antioch to ask Tancred to intervene in his favour. In return, he promised to become Tancred's vassal. His move obliged Bertrand to take corresponding action. Bertrand sent sent a messenger to Jerusalem to put his case before King Baldwin, to whom he appealed as supreme arbiter of the Franks in the East, and whom he thereby recognized as his suzerain. King Baldwin, whose statesmanship saw that the Franks in the East must work together, and whose ambition pictured himself as their leader, at once answered the appeal. He was already angry with Tancred over his treatment of Baldwin of Edessa and Jocelyn of Courtenay. Bertrand had moved southward to Tripoli, where his army was conducting the double task of continuing the blockade of the Muslim city and also besieging William Jordan's supporters on Mount Pilgrim. William Jordan had meanwhile left Mount Pilgrim and had reoccupied Tortosa, where he awaited Tancred. No sooner had Tancred joined him than they were visited by the envoy's of King Baldwin, who ordered them both to appear at the royal court before Tripoli to settle the question of Raymond's inheritance. William Jordan wished to refuse the summons, but Tancred realised that defiance was impracticable. In July 1109... All the princes of the Frankish East assembled outside the walls of Tripoli. Bertrand was there with his army. King Baldwin of Jerusalem came up from the south with 500 knights and as many infantrymen. Tancred of Antioch brought 700 of his best knights. And Baldwin of Edessa and Jocelyn arrived with their bodyguards. At a solemn session in the castle of Mount Pilgrim, Tancred was formally reconciled with Baldwin of Edessa and with Jocelyn, while the Toulousian inheritance was divided. William Jordan was to keep Tortosa and his own conquest, Arca, and Bertrand was to have Jebel and Tripoli as soon as it was captured. The former swore allegiance to Tancred and the latter to King Baldwin and it was agreed that on the death of either candidate the other should inherit his lands. With peace made between its leaders, the Frankish army set seriously about the capture of Tripoli. The Egyptian governor, Sharaf Abdullah, had been desperately demanding help from the authorities in Egypt, who equipped a huge fleet with transports for an army and boats laden with supplies. But intrigues and quarrels amongst the Egyptian commanders had delayed its departure from the ports of the Nile Delta. Months passed by while the Egyptian vizier, half-heartedly tried to compose the quarrels, and now at last orders were given for it to sail. But the north wind blew steadily, and the ships could not leave the harbour. When at last they set out, they were reduced in number, and it was too late." The garrison of Tripoli, cut off from help by sea by the fleets of Genoa and Provence, and with their land wall battered by all the machines that the Frankish army could muster, soon abandoned all thought of resistance. Sharaf Adula sent to King Baldwin offering to surrender on terms. He asked that the citizens wishing to emigrate from the city should be allowed to go in safety with their movable goods, and that those wishing to remain should become Frankish subjects and should keep all their possessions, merely paying a special yearly tax. He himself would be permitted to depart with his troops to Damascus. King Baldwin agreed, and on the 12th of July 1109, the Christians entered Tripoli. Baldwin, himself kept to his agreement in the districts that he took over there was no pillage or destruction but the Genoese, finding the city undefended, forced their own way in. They began to sack and to burn houses and to slay every Muslim that they met, and it was some time before the authorities could restrain them. In the tumult, the great library of the Banu Amar, the finest in the Muslim world, was burnt to the ground and all its contents perished. When the city was fully occupied and order was restored, Bertrand was installed as its ruler. He took the title of Count of Tripoli and reaffirmed his vassaldom to the Kingdom of Jerusalem. His obligations to the Byzantine Emperor Alexius were ignored. The Genoese were rewarded by a quarter in Tripoli by a castle known as the Castle of the Constable, 10 miles south of Tripoli and the remaining two-thirds of the town of Jebel. Jebel was given by them to the Admiral Hugh Embriaco, whose descendants formed it into a hereditary fief. Bertrand did not have long to wait before he secured the whole of his father's eastern inheritance. While the Frankish army was still at Tripoli, William Jordan was shot by an arrow. The circumstances remained a mystery. It seemed that he rashly intervened in a scuffle that had broken out between two grooms, and as he tried to separate the men, someone fired on him. Suspicion inevitably fell on Bertrand, but nothing could be proved. Bertrand at once took over all William Jordan's lands, which thus passed under the allegiance of King Baldwin. Tancred had therefore backed the wrong horse. So it was that Raymond's son, fulfilled his father's ambition of founding a state in the east. It was a lesser principality than Raymond had originally envisaged. The lands of La Chamele, as it was called, were never to form part of it, and instead of acknowledging the distant rule of the Byzantine emperor at Constantinople, it had an overlord close at hand in Jerusalem in the form of King Baldwin. But it was a rich and prosperous heritage, by its wealth and by its position, linking the Franks of northern Syria with the Franks of Palestine, it was now to play a vital part in the history of the Crusades. <laughs> That ends this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd be hugely grateful if you left a rating on Apple Podcasts or anywhere. Thank you so much. And in the next episode, we'll hear more about the most important of the Crusader states, the Kingdom of Jerusalem.